0: Are We Really Ready? Um, I titled it Part 2 of that same topic. We're going to go from Second Thessalonians to the 2nd chapter, beginning at the first verse. And before we go there, let's just have a word of prayer while you're looking for the lesson text tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we honor you in the name of, of your son, Jesus. We thank you for this time, this moment but we can come into your presence to eat of your word and grow by it and our faith be increased and our hope strengthened that our eyes will not fail us, that we will not give in or throw in the towel, but we look and we receive and we open up our minds and our hearts to receive the word tonight that will be food and nourishment to our spirit, man, that he may be strengthened, that he may be built up, that he may be stronger than he was at the beginning of this session tonight. We pray for insight and revelation knowledge tonight. We pray for you, Holy Spirit, to guide us and direct us through the word tonight. And if there be any question among us tonight, we're asking the courage, that courage will increase, that those who may have questions may ask it, and that you would give us the understanding and wisdom to answer to whatever question that may come tonight from those who have joined us tonight. We thank you for each family that is represented, and we pray a special prayer over each one, that nothing that the enemy has planned against them will prosper. We declare it and we decree, because your word says, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And it even goes further to say, and the tongue that lifts up itself against us, you will condemn it, Father. So we call on you, God, to silence the tongues of those who will speak against us, who will defame our reputation and name, who will try to discourage us and feed us a bunch of negativity, who will try to zap our strength and suck the life out of us, who will try to destroy our families and relationships and businesses, who will try, oh, God, to derail us on this path of this, that, this walk that we have chosen we're asking you to silence them. We're asking you to cut every sever, every tie, every, every connecting force that would try to infuse us with fear and doubt. For so we come against the spirit of fear tonight because you have not given us that spirit, Father. You've given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of sound mind. So, in the name of Jesus and the authority that he has given us, we declare and we speak against the enemy and every work that he has tried this day. Is brought down right now in Jesus' name. I grab and I cast out every imagination, every thought, every fear, every anxiety that is in our minds and each person's mind tonight. We hold it in captivity tonight in Jesus' name, and we bring it under the obedience, under the authority of Jesus Christ and strip it of his power, and it will not distract us. We will receive the word, the word will go in good ground, and the corresponding fruit will come forth in our lives this night. In the name of Jesus, we speak peace in every environment, home home, that no distraction will come while the word is going forth. For anything will be surrendered to the authority of the word tonight. And we declare and decree it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Ah, bless y'all. Well. As I said, we're going to begin tonight in the second chapter of Thessalonians, beginning at the first verse, and we're going to read through it and walk through it, and then we're going to jump over to the ending of this this thing as we talk about what's taking place in this world. Um, verse verse 1 says this, now we beseech you, brethren, by the mercies, of by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Paul thought it necessary to address the, the church of Thessalonica because they were hearing rumors and they were hearing things that was taking place, and really it wasn't taking place. So he wanted to encourage them to, don't be shaken in your mind. You're going to hear a lot of stuff. People are going to always be talking. People are going to always be trying to trouble your mind. They're going to wreak havoc on your spirit. But he told them, don't be troubled, by neither by your spirit, don't be shaken in your mind, nor by word, nor by letter. I don't care who writes it, as from us, people were writing letters to the church as if it was coming from Paul and them. Paul just nipped it in the bud, right there. He nipped it in the bud. They're gonna. There. Uh, remember, there are going to be people out there that intend to deceive you. The challenge in their success in deceiving you is your ability or uh, your knowledge of the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, if you know the information that they're trying to twist you, twist you to believe, then you are at the advantage, because you know the truth. And the word of God says in John 17 and 17, sanctify me by thy truth. Thy word is true. The word of God is the only truth there is. That is why this world and the enemy is constantly attacking the truth of God's word to get people to believe that it is not really that the word is not really what it means. Whatever it's saying is not really what God intends. I read something today right while I was sitting down waiting for them to prepare my meal. Blew my mind. Jimmy Carter, the the one of the supposed to be, I'm sorry, I say it's supposed to be, I guess I'm just going to say it just like it is, one of the supposed to be Christian presidents that we have, he came out in the interview today and he said <laughs> that he believes that Jesus would be acceptable to gay marriage. He would accept it. there would be no judgment against them, those people who choose to be in that. And I was shocked because for years he was saying that he was a believer in Christ. And, you know, we don't, we, we don't understand the fullness of all that. And we're not saying that gay marriage, and I hate to keep talking about that, but we know that Jesus loves everybody. But it is the sin. The scripture talks about people don't separate us from God. Sin separates us from God. And the very act of that, the the judgment upon that sinful lifestyle is inside of the sin itself. If you're a participant in it, it's automatic judgment. It's automatic disobedience to God. And we cannot find ourselves in that line of of lifestyle, in any line of lifestyle that, that is that is sinful to God, period. Whether it's homosexuality, whether it's smoke, whether it's, it's out there being a husband, a white beater or whatever, fornicating or whatever it is, it don't matter what it is. It is what it is. Sin is sin in God's eyes, and he will judge it, period. Great white throne judgment. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's telling them, don't be deceiving your minds, except there comes a great falling away. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how that, that they're going to send a strong delusion upon this nation that men will rather believe the lie than the truth of God. He, Jesus specifically told his disciples, Take heed that no man deceive you. There's going to be people rising up intending to deceive the people of God. This is basically what that exactly what this is saying. There's going to be a great falling away first. People who you know have been saved for years are going to turn from Christ as a result of the coming times that is going to rise upon this nation and this world. People who are in Christ, people who might have been on TV, bringing in thousands and thousands and thousands of people Some of them will fall away from the truth because they have been deceived by this son. Listen to this. By that man of sin who will be revealed, the son of perdition. They're talking about the Antichrist right there. Verse 3. Come a great falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of of perdition. Look at 4. Who opposed and exalted himself above what? All that is called God. Do you see the intent of the Antichrist? He is still trying to exalt himself above all that is called God. That is why Satan got kicked out of heaven, because he thought he was better than God. He thought he, because God had created him so beautiful that he felt like the angels in all of heaven should have worshipped him instead of worshipping God. And God turned him over and kicked him out of heaven. And you find the same thing that is going to take place. The battle is really not between you and me, my brother and my sister. The battle is not against you and Susie, uh, Jimmy and Sam. It's not. The underlying battle is against Satan versus God. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. My wife and I were talking about that today. Righteousness Versus unrighteousness. Satan's job is to deceive us just like he deceived Eve in the garden. That was the only way he got Adam to eat the forbidden fruit. He deceived Eve. Eve ate it. She gave it to him, and he ate it. She was deceived. Adam disobeyed. Two different things. She was deceived. Adam, was he outright disobeyed. Our job it's to make sure we know truth so that we won't be deceived. Can it happen? Can we be deceived? There's a possibility because if it wasn't, Jesus would not have said, take heed that no man deceive you. He was talking to his disciples. He wasn't talking to Pharaoh and, and, and the Jews back then. He was talking to his 12 disciples and also those other people who decided to follow Jesus during his three-year ministry on the earth. He was addressing them. So if he said it, there is a possibility of the propensity in you, the ability of some deceiver to deceive a believer. It is a possibility. But Jesus is charging you to gird up your loins of your mind, strengthen yourself immunize yourself against the attack of the exception that is gonna come against you in all manner of, of angles, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's in your 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 relationships, outside of your family, your family, whoever, you gotta be on guard that the moment you see it the moment you see it, sometimes we just we'll sit we we'll are see it and we'll just we we'll just get silent and don't say anything against it. But it's coming a time where we can't stay silent anymore. We're going to have to say, now, you know you shouldn't do that. Now, you know that was not right for you to say that. Now, you know you shouldn't be living that. There's going to be a time. Now, you know you shouldn't have cussed that person out. That is not right. You know you shouldn't have stole that money. You know you should go back and angry. There's going to be a time where we cannot afford to keep silent because the very fact of us keeping silent can tell another person that we okay with it. I mean we gotta we gotta let our yes be yes and our no's be no. We gotta stand for the truth when it's time to stand and we gotta keep silent when it's time to keep silent. The point of the mount is the Holy Spirit is gonna tell you when to keep silent and when to say something. That's why it's important for you to know his voice. Verse 4 again, who opposed and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is is worshipped, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, they're talking about the Antichrist. This is what the Antichrist is going to be doing. He's going to set himself, upon, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself, that he is God. That's how so many people are going to be deceived by him. Remember you not, verse five says, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know with with what withholded that he might be revealed in his time. And now you know nothing is being withheld from you but he shall be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the iniquity do works. work, meaning the mystery of the iniquity, those sins, they're already working. They're already evident. They're already evident. Anything that is opposed to God carries the spirit of the Antichrist, Satan himself has that spirit under his control, and he's going to utilize that spirit to control mankind to get them to do what he wants. Verse 7, for the mysteries of iniquity do it already work. Only he who now let it will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him who coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He's going to have power. He's going to have signs and lying wonders. Remember, when Jesus walked the earth, people were drawn to Jesus because of the signs and wonders the evidence of him being the son of God, the power of God was manifested through him. The Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, is going to have power too. He's getting his power from Satan, not God. Satan has power. That's how he'll be able to do signs and lying wonders upon the earth. Those are the things that are going to make people think that this man of this person is of God. That's what's going to happen. That's how they'll know. Man, this has got to be God. Man, look at the people being delivered. Look at the people being set free. Look at the people. Look at the people. Look at the anointing. The look at the people speaking in tongues and all the evidences. But the Bible says there's going to be signs and lying wonders that the very intent of it is to get people to believe the lie. Verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. For this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. God ain't going to be out there trying to make people believe him. He ain't about making folks believe. You need to believe me, you need to believe you, you need to accept Jesus. No, here, here, here is death and here is life before you. You have to choose either one you want. But I want to encourage you to choose life. I set before you, death and life. Choose, but I want you to choose life. The life that I so have given you, the life that I so have, have, have bled for you, have been whipped for you, choose that life but I'm going to let you choose whichever one you want to, that is the power of choice. That was the power God gave Adam the day he created him, to choose to obey him or choose not to. Had Adam not ate the forbidden fruit, we still would be living in paradise because things didn't change because Eve ate it. It happened when Adam ate it. He chose to outright disobey God, and he suffered the consequences of his choices, such as we. Whatever choice we choose, there are consequences. There are good consequences and bad consequences because these people in this scripture chose to follow and believe in the son of conditions and all the signs and line wonders. The Bible says God Send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all might be damned, damned who believe it, not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's some serious stuff. This is what you choose. God said, I'm going to let you choose it. He ain't going to twist your arms. It's whatever you choose. Is that love? Yes, it's love because love allows you to choose. Love don't force you to do something against your will. God says, here is what I'm offering you. Do you want it? If you want it, then you get all the benefits of it. But if you don't want it, then you miss all the benefits of it. That's where we are as believers today. God lays it out for us. We got all of his precious promises. We'll find a scripture. We'll get on social media. We'll post something to encourage somebody. We'll be a faith in people. We'll say this. We'll say that. We're choosing it. We're choosing this life. We're choosing to empower. We're choosing to build people up. We're choosing to encourage our brother and our sister and hopefully draw somebody who may not know Christ to him by the words we we pull out on social media or through a letter or through a text. But if we choose not to do it, if we choose to get silent. If we choose to just get on there and cuss and post nastiness and all the other things, then what? It's a choice. Will I be blessed as a result of it? No. Will people be inspired and encouraged? No. Some will because that's the life they choose. They'll be like, yes, I was waiting for them to agree with me. Yes, they're a believer. Oh, man, they're a Christian. They say they go to church. And look what they posted. I knew that it was okay to live like this because if they're doing it, it's okay for me to do it. Yes, I'm going to heaven too. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And listen, in your living, you cannot do it in your own strength. You've got to walk in the grace of God and just follow what the scripture says. Pull off those things that you know God is saying. Let it go. If you find it hard to pull it off, Give it to God. Tell him about it. Lord, you know, I've been dealing with this for too long. I'm so tired of dealing with this. I really need you to help me. I really need you to take this. I really want to give this up, and I need you to help me. And he to help you. Will I fall after that? It's a possibility I might slip, but that's when we have to run back to the altar and ask God, Lord, forgive me. I messed up this time, but if you help me, just continue. to help me to be strong when these things. Help me to be aware. Help me to help me to see it before it happens. Help me to be aware of it. Help me to know it when it comes, so it won't catch me off guard, so that I can resist it when it comes. Look at the cycles. Look at the patterns. That's how the enemy operates. He deals in cycles and patterns. He's strategic. He sees you when you get into that very weak moment, and then he fires his dart and hit you right there, that same spot he hit you last time. It's tender. Yeah, oh, the memories come. Yeah, the pain comes. Yeah, the insecurities, the doubt, the fear, all that comes like it's fresh and new, like it never left because he's strategic in his attacks, and his attacks are necessary at those moments because that's when you're most vulnerable, and he don't have compassion. His whole purpose is to get you to miss what God is saying. For your life to deflate your faith, to whip away your strength, and leave you standing there feeling guilty, feeling condemned. Oh, yeah. See, I, I knew you wasn't as saved as you said you were. Look what you just did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I heard you slip. I heard it slip. It came out of your mouth. Yeah, you said it, Uh uh-huh. I thought blessings and curses are not supposed to come out of the mouth of Christians. He's going to rub it in your face, but run to the altar anyway. Plead the blood of Jesus. Call out to Jesus and let the blood be applied and get up and dust yourself off and keep going. Just that simple. Just that simple. So are you really ready? Listen to this we give into the Antichrist teachings when we think we can do anything and God will be okay with it. Be on guard with that. I always tell people to measure if you if there's a doubt about it measure it up against what the word says. Now what does your word say about this? What the, what, what, what's the script? And if, the, if there's a gray area, you know, some people say there's a gray area. The Bible is silent. You know, Paul dealt with that. Some things might be lawful. It may be permitted for us to do some things, but all things are not good for us. Paul talked about that in the book of Philippians. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient, meaning it is permitted for you to do a lot of things, all things, but all things are not good for us. So then we hurt our own selves. Because we feel like it's okay, and it might, on the other side of it, weaken our faith in God and open the door for the enemy come in through the back door to release the most subtle way. And before you know it, we out there just doing the do. Got to be careful. We got to stay on guard. Got to be watch and alert because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. As a roaring lion, he ain't a lion. He sounds like a lion. He tries to make you think he's a lion. He's a fake lion. Everything he does is fake. It's a lie. It's deceptive tactics. And if he can believe you, to, if you can, be, if he can get you to believe one little big thing, he knows he got you for the next one. So don't give in to him. If it looks like a lie and smell like a lie, it's a lie. It ain't truth. If it looks like truth, smell like truth, sound like truth, then stand on it. What you got to lose? Nothing to lose. Romans, Romans six one through one through two says, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" And then he says, "God forbid." How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I mean, we got to be ready. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized? This is Romans six chapter third verse. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism. It's talking about baptism. This is this is a perfect symbolization of what baptism is. When we go under the water, it's a symbolization of Jesus' death in the grave. When we come up out of the water, it's a symbolization of Jesus coming up out of the coming up out of the grave. So when we come up out of the water, we are a new person. We've been resurrected into a new life. When we go down in the water, we're dying to self. When we come up, we're we're here. We're new. We're made anew. That's what baptism is all about. Verse 5, for we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, listen to this, is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. When Christ was nailed to the, to the cross, when we give our life to him, our sin nature has been nailed to the cross. You got to see that. We don't have to yield to sin. We don't have to. That's helping us. But we know that that you don't have to give in it only has its power when we give into to it. The more we say no, it has no power. We just keep on going and living right. But as soon as we say okay, then we've given its power to do what it's there to do, to position us out of the will of God. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Talking about dead to the sin nature is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe, verse 7, that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, died no more. Death had no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, verse 11, Reckon you, your own selves, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Did you get that? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. The moment you obey it, the moment you are falling into it. Verse 13, neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Period. Period. Think about that. Any comments? Any questions? Anyone? Listen, we gotta be ready. Our husbands, our our loved ones, our friends. You know, now is the time for us to say something to them. I mean, use wisdom in how we say it. You know, there's a way to say it. There's a way to open, go into it. There's a way to 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 share it. You just have to just be plain and simple, you know. If I mean, talk about something that God delivered you from. You know, people want to know that He can deliver still. Yeah, He can. People want to know, well, does He bring it back up? No, He doesn't. Does He remind you of your failure? No, He don't. I mean, tell them that. That's the power of your testimony. What has He delivered you from? That's the beginning of of sharing with others about this God that we say that is so great and loving and compassionate. Hey, we're gonna to go to the Book of Revelation. Now, there's no question or anything, and we're just gonna read a little bit of this. I mean, this is what's gonna. We we talked about it, you know. If if we if we're satisfied with where we are, and this is how we got to deal with other people who want to talk about, you know, this life after death and this this life in Christ. You know, this is what we have we have to be aware of. You know, after death, there is something that's gonna take place. You know, you don't just die and you go down in a little nice little pretty mahogany. Solid mahogany wood casket, and get get filled with embalming fluid, and that's just the end of your life. That's just what they gonna do your body, but your spirit, man. As soon as you die, it's gone, gone to wherever it's gonna go. Now, if you if you are, if you're not of God, then your your spirit goes to a holding place until the day. Now, this holding place is hot, too. I just want you to know that. I don't want you to think it's sitting out on the sandy beaches of Galveston, Texas, and you can just drink some lemonade and you're going to be okay. No, it's going to be hot. Read the book of Luke where Rich man and Lazarus died, and they're going to give you a glimpse of this holding place. But this holding place is a place where unsaved people would go until they appear before The Great White Throne Judgment. We talked a little bit about this Great White Throne Judgment. And that judgment is only for those people who are not, have not given their life to Christ. Those who died in their sin and have never accepted Jesus Christ, those who went through the seven years of tribulation, those who have received the mark of the beast, because once you get it, there ain't no redemption, you can cry out to God. You can, oh, God, forgiven, you can cut yourself, you can bathe yourself in olive oil, you can go on a 40-day fast. Once you get the mark of the beast, there is no turning back. I know you got to feed your families. I know you got to feed your kids. And the Bible says that you won't be able to buy nothing or sell nothing. You won't be able to get nothing if you don't have that mark. But you've got to resist getting the mark. Let's read a little bit.
1: I had a quick question, Willie. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Who is, who is Uh, This is Nika. Hey, Nika. Um, me and Anthony was talking about the other day, like, okay, as a Christian, we know you're supposed to live right, and if, you know, you sin, you ask God for forgiveness, and all is forgiven. Hmm. So, but then what's the point of doing right? If if all you have to do is ask for forgiveness and all is forgiven. Like, I mean, I, I understand, but my thing is, if there's somebody that, you know, know the word and they know all they need to do is ask for forgiveness and then all is forgiven and, you know, you're back right with God, then they're thinking hey, I guess I can do whatever I want to, mess up, and then all I have to do is, you know, in the end, just say, God, please forgive me for my sin, and I'll forgive you, and I'll go to heaven. I I totally understand what you're
0: saying. Let's look at Romans, we we read it a few minutes ago, Romans 6 and 1, 6 and 1 and 2 talks about shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. I mean, we know that, that, that grace exists, and God, when God looks at, repentance, a conversion. Repentance means you totally turn away from it. You have a change of heart. You have a change of mind, right? Right. It means 180 degrees. Look at it from what God judges the heart and intents of a person's um, heart and motive. We as humans cannot judge that. So if God judges the heart, when we go to God, and we can maybe sin this day, and we go to forgiveness. We sin the next day, and we go and ask for forgiveness. God might God reads that to say, well, they may not have no true conversion if they're continuing to to continuing to go and do sinful things, knowing that I'm going to forgive them. There there has been no conversion at that point, because when a person comes in Christ, this is the power of salvation. This is the power of salvation, that when we give our life to Christ, we die to the sin nature, the power of the sin nature in us, we should not want to sin no more. Because the more, and as a new believer who comes in Christ, when you start getting the word in you, it comes in Romans 12 and 1. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more you in just this word, the more you're retraining your nature to do what God wants instead of what the flesh wants. See, with people, people, people who do that type of thing, they haven't been transformed yet because if they're not transformed, they are not seeking, they are not allowing the power of salvation to work in their life to the fullest of what it, it, it has come. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So if we're continuing in it, there, there's a point of we misuse the grace of God, right? So then, let's say as soon as, and I'm just using this example, when when do we know we have the opportunity to repent of a sin? When do we know that person are going have the opportunity to ask God to forgive them. It's like an insurance policy. You know, we can ride in our car, auto insurance, for months and not have an accident if we don't have insurance. But the moment we hit somebody and we don't have insurance, woe unto us, right? Woe unto us. So you kiss somebody, and before you can say, God forgive me, the, the trumpet sound. What's going to happen? We miss it because then we die in our sin. I think the lifestyle is important, Tanika. I think once we come into this, it's not our thing, once we come into this life, it should be our desire as a born-again believer. Yeah, I know I can sin, but the Bible tells me I'm a new creature. I'm new. All the old things have passed away and all things have become new. then my Christianity becomes a lifestyle and I'm seeking to do the right thing. I'm not continually doing the wrong thing because I can do it and get forgiveness for it but I'm seeking to do the right thing and if I slip and fall I slip and fall trying to do the right thing. That makes sense? And God is right there grace. Grace is applied at that moment but if I'm willfully sinning then a person needs to ask themselves, have I really allowed Jesus into my heart? That's a good question because you hear that a lot. We he were going
1: back and forth, and I was like, I don't know that answer. I mean, yeah. I don't because he's like, well, what if, you know, the person who murdered somebody on death row, and then they say at the end, you know, God, please forgive me of the sin, da, 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 and then, you know, then all is forgiven, so. How do you
0: know, you know they, I, I get it now, Grace? If if they sit in that electric chair, that lethal thing, and their last word, they say, is there any the last word? I just want to, before I say anything, I apologize to the family, and I just want to, at this moment, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will Jesus right. forgive them? Will he forgive them? I believe he will. You know why? Look at the thief on the cross. Jesus right. right there on the cross next to those two thieves. When I'm cursing, oh, if you be if you be God, get down, get down, and take us with you. Then I would say, if you are the yes. son of God, can I be with you in paradise? Jesus said, from this moment on, you can be with me in paradise. And that man accepted Jesus at death's door. That's the difference. We just want people to accept it. You got, I mean, you got to the moment of your last breath. You just people grace people that don't they don't know when the trumpet gonna sound they don't know when that last moment is but God knows We've got to live our life with with the insurance policy of salvation and know that when the time comes I can cash my insurance policy in the blood of Jesus let me read this I'm just gonna read one chapter of this because I want you all to see I, I I've been sharing with you that once the tribulation period we we read last week how Jesus is gonna get this book in his hand. Who is the Lamb of God? In heaven, he's going to get the book. He will be the only one who is worthy to to break the seals of this book. And the angels was crying, "Who is worthy to open the seals off of this book?" And only one person was worthy to do it, and it was the Lamb of God. Look what ha- look what happens when the Lamb began to open the books. This is what's going to happen during the tribulation period. A lot of this is civilization, but you'll get the gist of what's taking place during the tribulation. This is the very beginning of the tribulation period. Verse, chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 1. It says this, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the fields, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. Remember, John is being escorted around heaven during this time, seeing this vision that's taking place. And verse 2 says, and I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown and was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's one horse. That's the first seal. A white horse is going to go forth to conquer, and he 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 forth conquering, and he's going to be a conqueror. So that's going to be making war. The second seal is open, and when he had opened the second seal, and I heard the second beast say, "Come and see," and there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. First, the white horse; second, the red horse. Right? Red horse takes away the peace from the earth. You got the power to kill, and others people are going to be killing as well. The third seal will be opened. Verse 5, And when he had opened the third shield, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I behold, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances, like a weighing balance, in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil." And the wine. civilizations. I don't know what it says right now. I don't know what it means. Just know that it's saying, I guess it's going to be borrowing, buying and selling going to be going on. Um, excessive cost. Um, possibly that's going to be taking place. Um, people won't be able to afford certain things. Um, I believe that may be what that is because that's when you're weighing things in the balance to find out the cost of it. Here's the fourth seal. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, "Come and see." And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that was that set on him was Death and Death. Okay. This this is the one I like. I say, well, like like not like like you be, but I like to read this part because it gives me two contrasts. He said, look and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on this pale horse was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. That means a fourth of the earth population will be killed with a sword Will suffer from famine and death. That's going to be heavy, a fourth of the population of this world. That's what's going to happen when the fourth seal. Now, I I know that this will not happen in succession. One day the first seal going to be plucked, the second seal going to be open. It may be a time frame in between these these different events. I'm not I'm not sure of the exact time frame but I want you to know that these events are going to take place. Look at the fifth seal, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Did you get what was taking place then? So the fifth seal, the people who were in heaven, right? They were, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. These are the people who died for Christ and for the testimony of which they held. Scribe, scribe, and say, how long? Jesus gave them their white robe, and he told them, just a little while, tell your fellow brothers and sisters that should be killed at their word. When these people be killed, time's going to be fulfilled. That's how long it's going to be. He's telling us what's taking place. Look at the sixth seal, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island was moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and their bondsmen and every free man hid themselves in dens and in the rocks of mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? That's enough. Do you see that? That is a lot of turmoil taking place on the earth. And we think we've experienced earthquakes and mountains, they say every mountain shall be moved out of its place. And islands, that's a massive earthquake. Plates will be shifted in the earth. Continents might merge together like, like we've never seen in our time. All of this, people are going to be frightened. People are going to be afraid. But when the Antichrist steps on the scene, he's the man that's going to speak peace and calm, and people are going to run to him because when he speaks it, it's going to happen. Everything's going to get quiet and settled, and they're going to think it's all right now. He's here. He's, he, he spoke. It is. It's so. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a, a terrifying time. And we are in heaven. Is going to be sitting in heaven, watching and waiting. And Jesus is going to come back at His second coming. During the millennial reign, chain up the Satan for a thousand years, while He reigned for a thousand years. It's going to be a time, saints. It's going to be a time. But it's going to be a time where I want to encourage you to make sure you're not found during this time on this earth, that you find yourself in a position of being. Rocks out of here when Jesus comes back. Now, listen, I'm available for any questions. If you got any more tonight or if you got any during the week to come, you know, I, I'll sit and talk with anybody. You know, we're here, you know. We're all trying to make it in. It's our heart that all of our love will make it in. But it's no manner of righteousness that we do that can get us in heaven. It's all about faith in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's all about receiving him. When we have a heart to please God and live according to the word, Jesus' blood makes up the difference in our frailty. The area where we can't reach his blood connects it all. That's the way God looks at it. I'm trying, God. I'm trying. You're walking in faith. You might not be 100% there yet. The blood applied makes it all equal and complete. For we are complete in him, the scripture says. We are complete in him. Who is him? Christ Jesus. We are complete in him. When God looks at us through Christ, we don't have no frailty. We don't have no inadequacies. We don't have no weakness. Because through Christ, we are complete. We are finished product. We are completely holy through Christ, period. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of his resurrection. That's the power of the blood. Read the Old Testament and understand the power of the blood. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. It washes away our sin and we stand before God holy and righteous all because of the blood. So tonight I want to encourage you to continue to walk this life out. Continue to share with others that may not know and if if you may not Know how to answer or whatever. Hey, call me up, Texas. Us, let us know. We'll help out. We love each one of you all, and we thank you for setting aside your time tonight. And is there any other questions? I want to pray for you before I let you go. Any any other questions or comments that anyone has like to make? Bless you, bless you. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to hear your word tonight <laughs> as a it's like a nail in the, in the coffin, God, as the end thing. We really want to be ready, and it is our heart's commitment to be ready when you come. So I think our greatest challenge, Lord, is how do we ensure, how do we help others to be ready, especially those who are dear to us? How do we help them? So we need your guidance. We need your insight. We need your knowledge in how we can best present. Christ to them that they may see and understand the power of this salvation that we possess and a lot of that power is revealed in how we live our lives it's how we live for that, where they can see this power working in us then they'll see how, how much of a change it creates in our lives and come in this thing with hope that their life, too, can be changed by the power of it. So help us daily to exemplify the power of the gospel in our lives so that we don't have to speak a bunch of words, but our lifestyle will be the one that proclaims it, that there is a Christ and that he still delivers and sets free. And all you have to do is ask for forgiveness, repent of your sins, And invite him into your heart as Lord and Savior. And he steps in. And he's the king. And he rules. And he'll empower you. I pray for these tonight. That you empower them with great courage, great strength to stand in the day that they may be challenged. To not be weak or weary in their well-doing knowing that in due season they shall reap if they faint not, if they don't give in. So encourage their faith, strengthen their faith, and cover them from the attack of the enemy. Cause them to be alert and sober-minded, watchful so that nothing catches them off guard. In the name of Jesus, I speak peace over their lives tonight, that they prepare their evening and relax and, wind wind down for the night, God, I'm asking you that you would comfort them and embrace them in your loving arms and that your peace would be upon them as they sleep tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.